Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, for some of you, it will be a professional tune-up. You know, I've got one of my trucks in being worked on right now. They're having a challenge getting the distributor out to replace it. You know, it just reminded me, you know, sometimes we just need a little tune-up in our lives, in our work, in our relationships, whatever we're doing. Well, thank goodness, it's really easier in many ways to do it personally than to do it on a mechanical vehicle like a truck. I get impatient with that, but when it comes to myself, I'm like, why can't I do it? Why can't I just make the decision? Make the decision. So we're going to be looking at some opportunities in today's show where you can perhaps make some new decisions. There are so many opportunities out here today, and I don't mean to make it sound like it's just a walk in the park. It's not. It takes discipline. I just had a young couple in my office today where we're looking at a new invention that they're doing. I met with them 14 months ago, and we talked about this invention. And I said, one of the things you want to do is just tell everybody that you see about it. And their concern was, well, my goodness, it's, if it's a great idea, if we tell other people, somebody will take it and run. I said, no, they won't. They're too busy in their own lives. Share it. There's more to be gained by sharing your ideas with other people around you than there is risk of them taking the idea and doing anything. Well, 14 months later, they're back in my office and they're like, oh my gosh, were you ever right on that? We tell everybody because now we realize how much work it really takes to turn an idea into something profitable. Well, they're just on the cusp of launching it. It's going to be exciting. I'll tell you about it when they've got it up and running, when I've got a website that uh, we can send you to because it is a very exciting project that they're working on. Two optometrists, husband and wife, and they've left that, sold their practice, and are working on this new invention idea, and I think they're going to have a home run success with it. Well, we're, here's some of the things we're going to be looking at today, where each week we take your questions that you've submitted. You can shoot those in to the podcast link at 48days.com. We'll put them in a rotation, consider them for an upcoming show. But real life questions about how we can make work or find, find or create work that is more meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. I always want to add that because sometimes we still kind of have the conception that if we have work that we really enjoy, then we have to learn to live on rice and beans. No, it works the other way around. Finding or creating work that you love will release an avalanche of financial profitability that you never realized was out there. Money starts to show up in unexpected ways. I've seen this happen time and time again. Gee, I'm an artist. You know what they say about artists? Starving artists. Yes, but if that's your passion, do it in a way that's remarkable. Can you do something that hasn't been done before? Yeah. And an artist in here this afternoon who just did a magnificent project, a major project for the Olympics in London, where her artwork is on billboards and the sides of buses and things like that. Is that something that every artist is doing, sitting in a little cubicle somewhere doodling? No, but it's something that can be done, obviously. She's done it. But find ways to do what you do that make you remarkable and you will have extraordinary, unexpected success. Here's some of the questions we'll be looking at today. I'm going to be telling you why there's no such thing as a new idea, incidentally. Talked about just a minute ago, a couple that has an idea that they're developing. Yes, they're doing something with it. The doing something with it is new, 
and novel and unique. The idea, everybody recognizes that as a need, the need has been there for years. Been a major concern of parents. The need has been there. The idea for a solution certainly has been there. But did somebody else take action and create a product to address the need? No, that's where you can be different. So I'll tell you why there's no such thing as a new idea. We'll hear a Mark Twain quotation here in a minute. Here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today. Dan, ideally, I'd love to open an obstacle course style gym because there's none in my city, but I want to do it debt free. All right. Shouldn't be a problem. Dan, how can I reprint a book that is out of copyright? I'm interested in disaster response and working to feed the hungry. Can I do that with a BS and then master's in engineering? At the end of September, I'm moving back to the U.S. from overseas mission work. I hope to pursue an MDiv, Master's of Divinity, but I'm concerned about student loans and lack of savings. Well, we'll talk about that. I've probably had 20 questions this week that had to do with that. Student loan debt. We'll, we'll address that issue. Dan, we have over $150,000 we've saved up over many years. Should I spend $10,000 in equipment to start my own printing business? Now, that's got a lot of meat in there that I want to get to. Certainly, he has the funds to start that business, but is that business one you want to spend $10,000 in equipment for? That's a different issue. Dan, how can someone increase their income in a field that people all too often joke about doing the work because you love it, not for the money? Well, there's a whole lot of things that fall in that category. You just have to make yourself extraordinary. Dan, I'm a 53-year-old woman, extremely discouraged, confused, and frustrated trying to figure out the next step in my career life. Well, we're going to talk about those and more as we can get them in. Again, you could submit your questions. Go to the 48days.com site. Click on the podcast link and you'll see an opportunity there to submit your question. I am Dan Meller, your host for this time. The 48 Days comes from a book I wrote a few years ago titled 48 Days to the Work You Love, where in that I talk about how to look inward first, develop a clear focus, then go find or create work that matches up with what you know about yourself. Too many times we get the car before the horse chicken before the egg or vice versa, whichever works for you as a metaphor, but where we simply see, here's a hot new trend. Here are some new hot new business opportunities or franchises. I know they're hiring down the street at this company. My uncle owns this company. I could get a job there. No, those are recipes for short term solutions to your career frustration. And they're also strong possibilities for long-term frustration. But if you look inward first, understand what is unique about you. There's no right or wrong there. You don't have to have the latest kind of technology skills to be extremely successful, but you have to do something that's an authentic fit. What is it that fits you? When people today who we know are approaching death or ask what their biggest regret is, there's one thing that comes to the top without nothing, nothing is close as a second. And it's this, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life authentic to myself rather than trying to live out the expectations of others. Now, this doesn't mean that you're selfish and egotistical and self-centered, narcissistic and all those wonderful negative terms. No, but it means you release the very best God has put in you if you, in fact, do something that's an authentic fit. If it's not, it's an authentic fit. It puts you in the zone like athletes being in the zone when they know things are rocking. Things really have come together. 
That's what you're looking for. That's the kind of feeling you want when you're doing work. And a whole lot of other things start happening as well. It does release your best energy. You're not exhausted. It doesn't feel like you're at work. It feels like you're playing. You get paid to do something you would do even if you weren't being paid for it. Last week, I talked about some examples like that. A lot of people are figuring out how to do that. And the other thing is, as I kind of alluded to a minute ago, money often shows up in unexpected ways. All of a sudden, not only are you just surviving, but you're making extraordinary money because it flows out of doing something that's an authentic fit, something that you're passionate about. Well, we'll be looking at these questions. Mark Twain said, there is no such thing as a new idea. It is impossible. We just take a lot of old ideas and put them into a sort of mental kaleidoscope. We give them a turn and they create new and curious combinations. We keep turning, making new patterns, but they're the same old pieces of glass that have been in use throughout all the years. I think we can take some comfort in that. There's no new ideas. We don't have to be totally creative and come up with something that's never been thought of before. No, I tell people all the time, you can become extremely wealthy doing something just 10% better than what it's being done now or just provide added value. That's all you have to do. And we'll, we'll talk about some examples of that. Well, hey, there's still time to join us for Right to the Bank, the next live event we've got coming up here at the Sanctuary, August 2nd and 3rd. It's our most popular event. I'm not sure exactly where we are in registrations, but I know it's our always our most popular event. I've confirmed with our outside speakers. Going to have Matt Bauer here, who's publisher at Thomas Nelson Publishers, talking about the world of publishing as it is today. He has a realistic handle and a very optimistic handle on where publishing is going, even though it is changing. Also, I'll be having Ken Abraham here. Ken is a longtime friend. He is at the top of the game in terms of being a ghostwriter, and he'll tell you about what that means. He has nine projects underway right now. I would hate to tell you his standard fee for doing those because you would choke knowing that he has nine projects, but he is the top of his game at being the go-to guy to write other people's stories. So he's written books for Joel Osteen and Chuck Norris and Bob Dole, Senator Frist, Charles, uh, um, Senator Ashcroft. I mean, lots of people like that he's done books for, over 80 of them. But he'll be here to share about that way. If you are just a good wordsmith, you may be able to make extraordinary amounts of money by writing other people's stories. And then Ken Julian, my friend from Atlanta will be here talking about what he's done with his writing, some innovative things where he's done joint venture projects, having other youth pastors write a chapter in a book that then he edits, puts his name on the front cover, makes money before the book is ever printed, and ongoing money because those guys become his sales team. Anyway, check it out. If you have any desire to turn your writing into income, we'd love to meet you here. Come out to the sanctuary just outside of Franklin, Tennessee. We'll introduce you to the wild bunnies that run around here, the turkeys. People often ask me, like with the turkeys, well, gee, how do you keep them here in your property? Well, we don't. They're, they're wild turkeys. I don't have them fenced in, but I spoil them. I make it pretty easy for them to hang around here with food and comfort comforts that we provide for them. So uh, people see things sometimes in our property and they wonder, my gosh, you know, did, did you buy a zoo? Like the movie, Matt Damon, we bought a zoo. No, I didn't buy a zoo. We just make it a comfortable place for people and animals to hang out. 
and we hope you feel the same if you come to see us here. Well, let's go to the question. Sam from Washington State says, Dan, I have an idea for a small informational pamphlet to sell to hunters. It would give them tips on proper care of their game and maybe other tips and tricks. I'm thinking about selling them at sporting at local sporting goods stores and possibly having PDF files available online. Any ideas on how to sell them through the stores? Would I have to sell them to the store or can it be worked out somehow for the customer's payment to go directly to me? Thanks for all your inspiring work. Well, Sam, to do that, to sell it in a store, no, you would have to sell it to them. It would be pretty unusual for a store to have something like you're describing there, even on consignment, let alone in a way that the customers would pay you directly. It's too cumbersome. You need to have it structured where they can purchase it and then resell it. So if you have a little pamphlet and it's going to sell for $4.95, you would want to sell it to the store for $2.50. That's a typical kind of markup. It's called Keystone Markup. They pay you $2.50 and sell it for $5. I mean, that's pretty standard. That's what you're going to want to do. So just look for opportunities to do that. But go out to the local stores, get your merchandise out there. But you can also make sure that your contact information is readily available on those little pamphlets. See, with the things I sell in printed format, those are really just business cards to draw people into our website where they then purchase things that are more expensive where we make more money. So you want to do that. So have your website on there for more information, free resources, go to have your website. So you get people there, then you can give them information on other downloadable products that you have, other physical products that you have, maybe a webinar that you're going to do on hunting tips, maybe a live seminar that you're going to do, maybe coaching that you offer half day of coaching. So yeah, it's a great way to start and you can seed the market and start your business rolling by doing exactly what you're talking about. Justin from Des Moines says, Dan, I know I'm passionate about fitness and nutrition. I would love to get a personal trainer certificate to start. Ideally, I'd love to open an obstacle course style gym because they're not in the city. I struggle with figuring out how to do this debt-free because I follow Dave Ramsey, of course. Ideas, thanks. Well, Justin, sure. So let's say that you want to have an obstacle-style gym in your town. Here's what, And there are none available. But here's what I would do. Look around for corporate centers. There are a whole lot of corporate centers in almost any area at this point that have the kind of gym that you're talking about. So there may be a rock climbing wall in there. It may not be exactly what you want, but work with what you have. I mean, here locally, I know the Saturn plant just south of me here in Franklin, Tennessee has an amazing fitness center with rock climbing, obstacle course, and the whole thing. And they rent that facility out. That's what you want to look at. Don't look, you, you would never, never, never want to go into this kind of business where you borrowed the money, even if it were available and you believed in debt. To, to build out a facility to try out this idea. You want to try it first, build a loyal following, build a reputation. Then at some point down the road, if you want a drone facility, there are ways to bootstrap that anyway. But look for existing facilities in some form or fashion that you can use. So if there is one in a corporate facility, you book it for evenings and weekends, times when they don't have employees there anyway, it's dead time for them. It gives them extra income and it gives you a way to get in the game right out of the gate without any debt. Sure, you can do that. Let's go to Dean from Hawaii. Hello, Hawaii. Well, hello, Dean. Thank you so much for your excellent program materials presented with that are presented with integrity. I have your 
Right to the Bank Materials, and other books. Regarding books out of copyright, once you've found a book, how do you go about getting it reprinted when what you have is the bound original copy? This is such an exciting and interesting project. How do I go about actually doing it? Well, the first thing you want to do is make sure that you have a book that is out of copyright. Check with the publisher. Check the public domain status. Now, there are ways you can do this. You, you can, let me give you a couple sites here. Now, you may want to have your pencil and paper handy in this particular podcast because I've got a lot of references for questions that have been asked. You can go to Authorama, just the way it sounds, authorama.com. There are hundreds and hundreds, thousands of public domain books there. You can go to feedbooks.com and check there. Now, here's the deal on public domain. That just means a book that's published that you really like and you want to reprint it. You want to publish it, make it your own. There are millions of books that are available in doing that. The kind of general guidelines I'm going to give you, and it's going to be general because of the format that we've got here, but anything published before 1923 is in the public domain. Now, there are also hundreds of thousands of books Keep in mind, there were over a million books published last year. In 2011, there were over a million books published. So if we even if we go back a few years, there have been millions and millions of books published. Even between 1923 and 1963, there are a whole lot of books that have not had the copyrights renewed, and so they have fallen into what we call the public domain. Now, just because a book has fallen into the public domain doesn't mean that it's not a good book or that people would not pay for it. There are a lot of books that were never marketed well. And keep in mind, writing a book is 10% of the process. 90% of the process of putting money in your pocket is having the ability to sell it. So your ability to market and sell that. So if you can market and sell something, you can find plenty of books where you don't have to go through the hard work, blood, sweat, and tears of writing it. You can just sell it. So anything before 1923 is probably okay. In between 1923 and 1963, you need to check to make sure has the copyright been renewed. Since 1963, the laws have been changed dramatically. It's essentially at this point the life of the author plus 70 years. So anything that's been written recently, it it would not be in the public domain, even if it's not being promoted or it shows it's no longer in print. That doesn't mean that it's fallen out of copyright. So be very careful about that. You can also check with Gutenberg.org. Gutenberg, that's with one T, Gutenberg.org. They offer over 40,000 free books. A lot of old, great books that are in the public domain. Now, having said that, so we're going to assume, Dean, that you have a book that is in the public domain. You just have an original copy. Well, from then on, all you've got is just the logistics of reprinting it. If you can't find an online copy where you have all the text there that you can just grab, then you're going to have to scan that or have somebody transcribe it and put it back into an original form. Now, with that, I've taken books like um, like Acres of Diamonds, the old Russell Con- Conwell classic Sometimes we find our best opportunity right under our nose. I've taken books like that in the public domain and I've written a foreword to it. And then I go in and may update the language so it doesn't sound so antiquated. I can insert my own thoughts here and there. So I essentially at that point make it my own. Now that doesn't pull it out of the public domain. It still remains in the public domain, except 
the version that I then just made, I can copyright that. You can't duplicate what I just copyrighted. So it's a it's an interesting kind of field that you're playing in here when you're looking for things that are in the public domain. But if you have a book that's in the public domain, yeah, it's not a big deal. You can have somebody transcribe it. So you have an original document. You can come up with your own cover for it. Boom, and you got a new book and you can publish it. Have fun. I, I would like to, at some point, and I'm always threatening with my team, I tell them I would like to take a year. I'd like to take a solid year and do nothing but pull things from the public domain and we republish those things. There's so much wealth of information there. Sometimes I feel guilty writing new books because there's so much wealth of information that's readily available there. It just was never marketed well. People don't know about it. I'd like to go harvest that old field. Don't know if I'll ever do that, but it certainly is one of those things. Maybe that's something I have in my bucket list. If it is, I'll have to make sure I put a point in place to do it. Well, here we have a question from Tom in Tennessee. Tom says, I've been a project manager for 30 years, not in IT, but in technical areas. And I've always enjoyed the work, coordinating, planning, working with lots of different groups energizes me. I think it's time for something new. I want to double dip, but in something that matters. I'm interested in disaster response and working to feed the hungry. I volunteer for both as often as I can. Do you think my skills can successfully transfer to these fields without going back to school for yet another degree. I have a bachelor's degree, BS, and an MS, master's in engineering. I've enjoyed your podcast for several months. It's your enthusiasm for finding work that is meaningful and profitable that has inspired me to rethink my career path, even in my mid-50s. What would Dan do? Well, what would Dan do? Dan would go directly in the direction of those things that interested him. Trust me. I'm a a shiny object guy. If there's something new that interests me, I'm going to go directly toward that. Do not pass go and do not take a deep breath and think about it. I mean, I have a tendency to do that too much. But with what you're describing, absolutely. You're in your mid-50s. Can you get involved in disaster response or work to feed the hungry? I mean, let's just take that one. Work to feed the hungry. If you get involved in that, how many times during the course of a day in your work to feed the hungry, are you going to have a recipient ask you, gee, do you have a college degree to make you competent to do this? No, now that's a stretch. And you know that I'm being kind of facetious as I talk about that. But certainly you've got plenty of education to do anything that you want. Now, outside of obviously brain surgery or accounting or legal work, if you want to do those specifics, but you can do I mean, 99% of anything you would want to do, you certainly have enough education. Just position yourself to have opportunities in those areas. Absolutely, you can do that. And there are certainly ways you can do that where it would fall into ethical capitalism or social entrepreneurship where you don't have to starve just because you want to work to feed the hungry. There are ways you can do that where you can create significant income for yourself and be compensated for the work that you're doing. Well, that music tells us we are uh, just in a transition. Just wanted to remind you, you're listening to Dan Meller, 48 Days Online Radio, where each week we take your questions, spend 48 minutes dissecting your questions. Well, that's stretched out a little bit if you're listening to this on radio. But we take your questions. If you want to submit one, go to 48days.com, click on the podcast link. I'd be happy to consider that for an upcoming show. Well, John says, John from Santiago, Chile. All right, okay, here's why. At the end of September, John says, I'm moving back to the United States from overseas missions work. 
I hope to pursue an MDiv, Masters of Divinity, but I'm concerned about student loans and lack of savings. I only have $1,000 in savings and $6,000 of undergrad student loans now. If you were me, would you take on the loans for something like this that you were passionate about and felt led to, or would you get another job for a couple of years until you could pay for the degree without loans? I have a teaching degree and could teach middle school for a couple of years and take a few correspondence classes at the same time. It's not what I want to do, but I'm wondering if that wouldn't be the wisest thing to do. All right, let me back up. Now we're going to look for, you know, I always look for and solutions, not either or. Now the guy who made that kind of thinking popular is Stephen Covey just died this week. Stephen Covey, 79 years old. Had an accident a few months ago on a bicycle accident and didn't recover fully from that and died. We'll miss him. He gave us a whole lot of principles. We remember sharpen the saw, begin with the end in mind, seven habits and more. And one of those is don't look for either or solutions. Either I can stay in a miserable job I hate or I can quit my job and be broke. Well, goodness, are those the only options? No. Look for solutions that bring together the best of both. And this is one of those. So you say, would you take on the loans for something like this? Or would you get another job for a couple of years until you could pay for the degree without loans? Well, I would not take on the loans. I would get involved in schooling immediately. And I would take on a job for a couple of years anyway in the process. Just make it all work. Bring it all together. The MDiv that you're talking about is a very popular degree. Now, what that means is that it's available at hundreds of great institutions. With you, you're going to be what we would call a non-traditional student. So you're not 18 years old or, or 22 years old just coming out of college and you want to get an MDiv. No, you already have had years of experience in overseas mission work. You're obviously in Chile right now. Assume your work has been done down there in South America, Central America, wherever you happen to be. Draw on that as part of your legitimate, viable preparation and coursework for getting an MDiv. Look for where you can get credit for your years in overseas mission work and other life experience. You may be a lot closer to your MDiv than you think is possible. Look for a program where you only add what you don't already have. And no, you do not, absolutely do not need more student loan debt to do that. There are too many ways to do it. When I was in graduate school, when I was getting my master's degree, I, we lived in a house, Joanne and our one little baby at that point lived in a house where I never paid rent because I kept doing improvements on the house where I had an agreement with the landlady that as I did work, I could reduce our rent. So we lived there for two and a half years and I never paid anything, you know, uncovered a patio back out back, rebuilt a couple in interior fireplaces, you know, painted, repaired you know, mowed, trimmed, did landscaping. I did all, never paid a penny in rent, just worked it off, never did anything. I mean, I never paid for any materials. She did that. Just my time here and there as it suited, never paid for rent. Well, then I had a, a teaching assistantship, again, because I had some experience beyond my bachelor's degree that they thought was were valuable, so they gave me a teaching assistantship, which gave me a $200 a month stipend, and it erased my tuition. We lived essentially in that $200. I had no tuition, we had no rent, so we had $200, and this was back a few years ago, obviously, that essentially paid for our groceries. I rode my bicycle back and forth to class. We just lived on nothing, but I had no, I didn't incur a penny of student loan debt during that time. Here's the deal. 
you have to look at the look ahead again with the Stephen Covey principle, begin with the end in mind. So you get an MDiv. What is that going to prepare you for? How is that going to position you? So you then have the earning capability to repay student loan debt. Well, typically it doesn't do that very well with an MDiv. You're likely to get a job that's going to be a little less than what you could get if you worked at Taco Bell. Again, I'm not belittling the degree. I'm just being realistic about what do people with MDivs do? Well, they usually teach or they have a church staff position, neither of which pay anything. So don't box yourself in by having student loan debt where you're not even a candidate to do what your heart may be telling you to go do. And never, ever borrow more money for student loans than you would possibly make in your first year in that particular area of specialty. So just using those guidelines, and absolutely in this case, to get an MDF, no. With your experience, I don't think you have to. Check out, check out schools like Vision, Vision University. Go to vision.edu. Check out their programs for MDiv. I think you'll be surprised at what you're finding there. Well, let's move on. Chris from uh, Charlotte says, Dan, I've been working at the same job for 11 years. I'm interested in starting up a printing company on the side. This is something I've always wanted to do. I want to print signs, T-shirts, etc. The upfront cost of the equipment would be around $10,000. My wife is a stay-at-home mom of two, and I think this could help generate some additional income. We have over $150,000 that we've inherited and saved up over many years. I think we could use that money to invest in a side business. I know of two accounts that can generate around $12,000 instantly, but my wife is somewhat reluctant to do so. I know there are many of these companies in the market, but I wanted to get your opinion on this. Do you think this would be a worthwhile investment? Thanks. I would be really gun shy about this particular business. Now, I love businesses, obviously. I encourage lots of people to start businesses. If you have the ability and the idea and the gumption to do a business, you're going to regret it if you don't do that. I mean, categorically, if you have the idea and the desire and the ability and you don't do it, you're going to regret if you don't do it. So yes, I'm big on that. However, I am really gun shy about a traditional printing business at this stage of the game. Printing changes daily. I mean, our print needs have dropped probably 95% over the last three years because of everything we're doing digitally. Our products are all available digitally. Our product sales are now at 52% electronic with no print involved at all. We have very limited needs for a traditional printer. Printing is a commodity. There's nothing really unique about it. It's just a commodity. So we expect you to have the very latest technology to be able to do our work in five minutes or less and to do it cheaper than the 16 other guys right down the street who will do it for a little bit cheaper than you. It's a tough, tough business to be in. If you are going to print signs and t-shirts, then you would be better off to come up with some unique slogans for t-shirts that you then print the shirt. So you're selling a slogan. You're selling a concept. You're selling an idea. You're selling a novelty. You're selling a way for people to express their opinion. But if you're just doing the printing, you really are in a low, low margin business. 
I, printers are going out of business daily, and I don't have good news for you in terms of how to tell you to have an edge in that business. I think it's a very risky business. The equipment you buy today is going to be out of date six months from now. So I would look at other ways to, uh, uh, for, for the start with, I would look for 20 other possible business ideas in addition to this. Now, if this comes back to the top, the cream of the crop, yes, we need good printers, but it's just, it's like somebody asking me if they should open a physical bricks and mortar bookstore. I love books. I love everything about books. I love the feel, the smell, the texture, and the whole thing. Would I advise anybody to open a bookstore? Not in a million light years. I people to say, oh, but I'm a Christian. I want to have a Christian bookstore. Oh, that's even more ridiculous. Don't do it. It just doesn't make economical sense. So look at business ideas that give you a shot certainly follow your passions, but make it work on paper first. If you have two accounts that'll generate $12,000, I assume that that's gross revenue. What are you really going to get in terms of profit at the end of the day on those two? If it's typical, you're going to look for about a 5% profit margin. 5%. I mean, that kind of a business would scare me to death. That's why I'm not interested in food business, restaurant business. The margins are so sl slim it scares, scares me to death. I mean, look for businesses that give you big margins so you have something to work with in the ups and downs that we're all going to encounter. Well, hey, let me slip this in here. Hey, this is John Tesh, host of Intelligence for Your Life, and you're listening to my good buddy, Dan Miller. You know, finding your purpose and passion is the first step to living out intelligence in your own life. 48 days can show you the way. Now, back to Dan. Well, let's go to Charles from Youngstown, Ohio. Charles says, I currently work for a cable company. I love technology and have a gift for teaching technology. I love smartphones and tablets and think there's a real need to show people how to use these devices. Yeah, I'd fall in that category, Charles. <laughs> there's, I, my, my iPad and smartphone, I probably use about 3% of the technology that's available there. I know what I want it to do and I know how to do that, but I certainly don't maximize the potential for good business with those. So anyway, Charles wants to teach. I've wanted to start up my own technology coaching business, but I'm not sure where to start. I know there's plenty of computer repair companies out there, and that's not what I'm looking to do. Most of the people who want to learn how to use these devices are new to technology, and I don't think the internet is the best place to market. How do I reach the people who need this service and get this service rolling like I know it can? All right. This is one, anytime I'm selling something, I at one time sold a little advertising concept. So I would go just to business and try to get them to pay me to cut me a check on the spot for a little advertising concept that would go in a little telephone address book that was going to be distributed like through a church or university. To do that, I didn't set appointments in advance. I would just go knock on doors. But I knew my numbers. I knew that I could close 67% of the people that I saw I knew that just walking in, I would not always be able to talk to the decision maker. There were a whole lot of factors, but I knew that day in and day out, I would close 67%. I can live with those numbers. Let's look at the numbers here and what you're talking about wanting to do, Charles. You want to teach people. You don't want to do computer repair or really be involved in technology in that way. We want to teach people how to use their smartphones and iPads more effectively. 
I don't think you can go person by person and sell that concept and ever make this work. If you make 15 sales calls and contacts to find maybe three people who want to even consider it or hear your whole pitch, and then out of those, maybe one who will engage with you, I think it'll take too much time to find that one person who's open candidate and a prospect for what you want to do. Now, is there a need there? Yes. But what I would suggest is that you look for established companies who present themselves as doing training in those areas and sell yourself on being the guy to deliver the classes. I mean, here locally in the Nashville area, we have places like, well, there'd be IT, ITT Tech. I mean, they teach. It's kind of a college university setting. They do that. New Horizons. I mean, that's one. They bring in lots of business people who need to know what you're talking about, but they're doing the marketing. They already have the reputation, the connections to bring in classrooms of people. So you just do the teaching. I think you would have a shot at making, making it in that environment and perhaps even establishing yourself as an independent consultant. But to start from square one and go out and just market those services, I, I think the ramp up time would be too long. I think you'd burn out before you'd ever be profitable. Randy from North Canton, Canton, Ohio says, I work swing shift. That means every week I change from days to afternoons to midnights. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine doing that. I'm tired just thinking about it. My biological clock does not readjust. We just had a, a whole slew of family here. Kids, grandkids, brothers, nieces, nephews. My biological clock was destroyed. I like to go to sleep when I get tired. That usually means about 9.30 at night. With kids and grandkids here, now we would have little kids go to bed at 7 o'clock and teenagers up till 1 o'clock. Well, I was in between there somewhere, but a lot of nights where it was midnight, well, guess what? I still wake up at the same time. I can't just automatically shift my cycle like that. Boy, the work you're describing here is brutal. Swing shift. Okay, I hate the fact uh, Randy says, I hate the fact that I'm unable to spend quality time with my family. I understand that. I've heard you talk about the dry cleaning delivery business, and I feel this would be an excellent transition for me. Recently, you described how your friend shifted his focus to service the medical field. Yeah, I did. I described how it's, it's really the same selling process to sell somebody on getting a lab coat clean as it is a dress shirt. But instead of a buck forty-five, it's seven dollars. Okay, uh, Randy says I'd love to hear how he approaches prospective clients. Any help that you would be able to give would mean the world to my wife, the unborn baby she carries inside her and me. Well, congratulations on the baby coming, Randy. To get my business, the guy I described. Incidentally, the guy I described his name is Shane Putty. I mean, you can talk to him if you want to. His business name is at your service, but his website. His website is getaredbag.com, getaredbag.com. That is probably an example of somebody who did not check the domain before they chose their business name. That's a no-no. You want to have the business name. So if you go to his business name at yourservice.com, it's something else. It's similar, but it's something else. So his domain is getaredbag.com. To get my business, here is the approach he used to get my business. He walked in the front door of my office. That's it. That's as complicated as it got. I think he had on t-shirt and jeans, as I recall that day. And he said, this is what I'm doing. This is not something where you need a long sales presentation. You don't need a fancy sales presentation. You, you can describe what you're doing, why it's unique, 
why it's convenient, why it's efficient. You ought to be able to do that in 60 seconds flat. That's it. You're done. Get customers, then get testimonials and referrals from current customers to grow your business. I think Shane, if I remember right, I think he got like 76 customers the first day that he went out and did just what I described. I mean, he was probably in my office for four minutes. Why would I take any longer than that? Yeah, it sounds great. See you next Tuesday. Boom. Next. So yeah, don't, don't make it too complicated, but just, uh, do a business plan. I mean, make sure that this is something that really fits and you can see it working on paper. I recommend you do that. You can go to our resources drop down. If you just go to the 48days.com site, click on the resources page, you'll see worksheets there. You can do a business plan. So um, just a free resource. You can put that together. Make sure that you can see it working on paper. That's the way that we get real ideas to come to life. Chandra from Atlanta says, I'm currently a 26-year-old caseworker for a major nonprofit. The majority of my work experience has been with nonprofits, and that is definitely where my heart is. But working for pennies just isn't cutting it for me anymore. I thought about going back to school for a master's degree in counseling or social work, but that's more college debt and not an actual guarantee that it will pay off in the end. How can someone increase their income in a field that people all too often joke about doing the work because you love it, not for the money? I'm feeling lost and stagnant in both my life and career. Is it time to put my idealist dreams of improving the world and those living in poverty on hold for a better paying career or simply persevere for now as paying my dues? Wow. Chandra, here's what you need to do. You need to look for new models for making money. Look outside the norm. Look outside the norm in terms of the kind of jobs for that kind of work. If you want to improve the world, boy, blessings to you. Do that by all means. Does that mean that you need to eke out a living, never be able to drive a nice car or live in a nice apartment? Absolutely not. You can do that, but look for unique ways to doing it. Um, my background is in counseling. I am a counselor at heart. I know that most counselors, you know, make $30,000 a year. I'm a coach. Okay. That's a little bit of a tweaking in what I do. So I help people really look to where they want to be, not just help understand why they are where they are now. All right. We could spend a whole day talking about the distinctions there, but I am a coach, but we also know 95% of coaches in America never make more than $40,000 a year. whoop de doo Is that exciting to me? No, it really is not. But I want to be a coach. Can I be a coach in a way that puts me in a totally different category financially? Well, sure. So in my case, I mean, instead of going and knocking on doors and asking for a job somewhere where I could be a coach, well, that's a pretty tough kind of thing to do. I position myself as a coach. At the time, I was teaching a Sunday school class. We had a large class coming. I had a ready funnel full of people who wanted my coaching services and I just positioned myself as a coach. I started charging for that. Well, then it's just a matter of supply and demand. If there's a lot of people standing at your door knocking, it's easy to raise your fees. And at this point, you know, my fees are pretty significant and certainly put me into you know, the top 2% of income earners in the United States in coaching. Just be convinced you can do it in a way that makes you remarkable. Now, you have to be remarkable. You can't just be one more counselor or social worker. But you can do things... And I wish we had more time to unwrap this, but check out the concepts of ethical capitalism or social entrepreneurship. A lot of times we think that if we want to help the poor 
or we want to feed the hungry, that we have to do that in a way that doesn't generate any income. Well, if we are just giving to those people who need those things, we probably are not really helping them get in a better position anyway. We're probably teaching them to be dependent on the system, us or the system that provides those things for them. Thus, we cripple them rather than equip them. That's not a long-term solution anyway. Could you come up with a way to help people who are hungry and in the process teach them to be self-sustaining and make yourself significant income? Well, sure you can. Now, that may sound more complicated than it is, but I mean, my son Jared is an example of that. Just to use a real quick example, he wanted to work with women who are living on the streets as prostitutes in Kigali, Rwanda. Well, that's a pretty challenging, monumental kind of task. How are you going to do that and make money? How are you going to make that work other than coming back to the United States, holding your hand out and begging for donations because you're doing such a worthy, humanitarian, godly work on the other side of the world? Well, that doesn't work. That model's finished. That doesn't work anymore. There's two million other nonprofits out there trying to make a claim for doing the same thing. It just doesn't work anyway without going into all that. How can you make that work? Well, what if you came up with an idea, a project that these ladies could work in? So you get trash paper from around the city, which Jared does, old phone books, catalogs, calendars, whatever. They cut it, roll it, put it on string, cover it with a clear lacquer, create designs for beautiful jewelry that is designed by interns from the Rhode Island School of Design, one of the most prestigious design schools in the country. So this is not just a little roll of beads that you feel sorry for these ladies. No, this is high fashion jewelry. It commands high prices. The money pays the women for doing the work. They can make more than a school teacher would in that society. And it has plenty of overage to cover administrative cost and cost for those that are running the program. And you have to look for ways to do that. And you can, and I don't care what it is. I don't care if you want to help the, the poor kids in Haiti. Look for ways to do that in non-traditional formats where it is social entrepreneurship or ethical capitalism, where it's not just, yeah, I got to do this as a ministry and I'm never going to have, you know, two nickels to rub together. Now you can do it, but you got to be creative in the way that you do that. Let me grab one more question here. Okay, let me, let me do this one. Sandy from um, Coon Rapids, Minnesota. Coon Rapids, all right, Minnesota. I'm extremely discouraged, confused, and frustrated trying to figure out the next step in my career life. I'm a 53-year-old woman with amazing energy, great organization, and communication skills. I started and operated a residential cleaning business with four employees for the last 15 years. I'm burned out physically, crave mental stimulation, and working with people. I want to go in a completely different direction. I read inspiring books and magazines, including yours, consistently for years. Ultimately, I'd like to start another business, but will work for someone else temporarily just to get away from what I'm doing. I want to invest in myself, take classes to broaden my skills, but don't know which way to go. I have 92 credits in nutrition and I'm passionate about nutrition and wellness, interior design and mentoring people. Help, I'm stuck. How can I move forward? Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for your question, Sandy. Here's the deal. You said that you've had a residential cleaning business with four employees for the last 15 years. Bingo. Having already started and run your business for 15 years, you have 90% of the skills you'll need to start any business, any other business. Now, here's a couple, th- couple things and we're going to wrap. 
If you have had your business for 15 years, you're going to have a hard time going back to being an employee. employee. Trust me. I just don't find that working well. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that, but you've, you've tasted too much. You've seen too much. Even if it hasn't been totally fulfilling, you know the freedom, the time freedom, and the income freedom that that gives you. You can't go back. You need to come up with another business. And I, I commend you on doing that. A cleaning business is, is hard work. It's very labor and time intensive. Come up with some other business ideas. Start a new business venture before you close this one down so you make a clean transition. But you've got the skills. You don't need any more education. If you want to go into nutrition, wellness, do that. Shape that. Form that. You've proven yourself to be an entrepreneur, a business owner. Just move it into a new direction. That's what entrepreneurs do. They don't start a business and continue doing it for 30 years. They do it usually for two or three years and do something else. You've already done this 15 years. I commend you for that. You're set to go out of the gate. Well, let's do a wrap up quickly. Some of the things we covered today. If you want to reprint an old book, first check with the publisher. It was printed prior to 1923. You're probably okay to update and reprint it. Be very careful about student loans. View them as a rat trying to get in your house. Never, never borrow more than what you, you could expect to make in your first year in a job in that specialty. And then recognize that in having your own business, you're making Your your primary role is selling things. That's your profit source, not making things. That's why a printing business doesn't work. If you just do the work or make things, that's not where the money is made. It's made in selling. And if you've ever had a business of any kind, you probably have 90% of the skills to do any other business, even if it's a totally different kind of business. Well, hey, check out the Wisdom Meets Passion Cruise. I hear from you all every week. Love to do it. Again, this is Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Love to hear from you, but I'd love to meet you as well. So check out the 48 Days Cruise. It's the second week of February, right through Valentine's Day. We're going to do some fun things. February 9th to the 16th, the Wisdom Meets Passion Cruise. and Love to see you there. Well, we've been taking care of business. The time goes quickly here. Thanks for your questions. Keep shooting those in. Check out the 48days.net activity. we got a growing group there of people just like you who are saying, hey, I'm tired of mediocrity. I'm tired of boredom. I'm going to do something to put legs in my ideas. So enjoy this exciting process, this opportunity we've got. We don't care what the economy is. We don't care who's in the White House. We're out here finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less.